Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we're in December, uh, Christmas season, and the decorations, and hopefully this is a time of the year you all enjoy. Uh, if you're new, we teach in series, and we're in a series titled Right in the Eye. If you missed one or want to hear it again, it's uh, the audio is on our website. Uh, we have this week and next week. Next week, believe it or not, is going to tie in with Christmas, even though it it happened during the time of the judges that we've been studying in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and uh, so hope you can join us. Um, before I begin, today's topic anyway is uh, extraordinary. And before we jump in with that, I want to do a pre-teaching time, pre-sermon time, pre-message time. So if you're not a Bible person, don't like all that Bible stuff, this part has no Bible, okay? So you can listen to this part and then check out later. I'll let you know when the teaching starts, okay? So let's begin with a question. <clears throat> what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? Another way to ask it is, uh, what do you want people to say about you when you leave the room? You know, your group at work and then you leave, you know the people talk about you when you leave, right? And your family gets together and you leave, the family talks about you. Um, so, what do you want them to say about you? Pretty good question, I think. Now, we have no control over what happens to us, but we have control over how we respond to what happens to us, right? So, let's think for a second. Well, what do we chose to be an extraordinary person? That's the kind of person we want to be. Somebody thinks of you, oh, they're just, they're, they're just extraordinary. <laughs> uh, and I don't mean just extraordinary at one thing. You may be extraordinary at one thing. Uh, you may know people extraordinary at one thing. Um, you know, athletes, you know, the Olympics, some of these athletes are just amazing how extraordinary they are at their, their skill, their, their, their events. But they may not be extraordinary people. In fact, people might not like them at all. I was trying to think of something I was extraordinary at. Some of you runners may think it's extraordinary. I've done 13 JFKs in a row. I don't know. Uh, That might be a little extraordinary. But uh, are we extraordinary people? Are we extraordinary employees, for example? Would our boss say, hey, they're just an extraordinary employee? Uh, You know, they just go above and beyond. They come in early, leave late. Uh, Some of you are school teachers, you know, they're just extraordinary teachers. They just love their kids, they pour themselves into their kids. Or maybe you're a boss. Maybe you're over top of some people. And, and the people you're over would say, wow, they're just a great boss. I would, couldn't work for anybody better. Just, they just treat us so well. Some of us are husbands. You know, uh, I don't know about your husband. My husband's extraordinary. That's what my wife says all the time, right? <laughs> I don't know about your husband. My husband's extraordinary. Now, on the other hand, some of you are wives, and most of us guys would say about our wives, right? They're extraordinary. I would say it about my wife, and you probably would about yours. What about your, your children, your sons, your daughters? You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, I, I wasn't anything special. But my son, or I have three, my sons, my three sons, that was a TV show, right? My three sons, they're just extraordinary. You know, they're, they're, they're just better people than I, I was. They're better parents than I was, uh, I was et cetera. Or maybe you have a friend. And they're just, you know, just, just nobody like them. They're just extraordinary. Uh, just, just people in general. Now, here's my challenge for you. Not for the rest of your life. That's too hard to be extraordinary the rest of our lives, right? So let's try for a week, 
All right? For the next week, next seven days, whenever you're facing a decision, a relationship decision, a financial decision, a health-related decision, uh, any kind of decision, uh, ask yourself the question, how would an extraordinary person act or what would an extraordinary person do in this situation? Can we do that? Just for the next, just, you, know, you don't have to do it for the rest of your life, just the next seven days. Ask yourself that question. What would an extraordinary person do? So that's my challenge to you. And that's a challenge, right? That's, that's not easy. That's going to take work. It's going to take some, some changes, especially if you're a parent. I think one of the most difficult things is being a parent. So with the, you know, the grind, your kids are always there. You always have to deal with your kids. And just how can I be an ex- extraordinary? Now, I've been dealing with this for a few weeks as I prepare these things ahead of time. <clears throat> and uh, I thought to myself, different situation, what would an extraordinary person do as a parent or as a grandparent? And I, you know the strange thing is? When you do that, you know how people respond? They just think that's the way you should be. It's it just as a parent or grandparent, they think you're supposed to be that way. And they aren't going to say, wow, you're extraordinary. Uh, that's just the way uh, they think. Now, another question along with this is, how many times you get to live your life? Now, unless you believe in the reincarnation thing, what I quite, don't quite understand, but especially if you believe that, what I understand is the way you live this life determines how you live the next one, Right? So you especially need to ask yourself, what would an extraordinary person do? But he, most of us wouldn't, don't, don't, don't follow that belief. In our belief system, we get to live once. So, if you only get to love, live once, why not live it in an extraordinary manner? Now, you might just think this is, you know, positive thinking stuff. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about, especially as we bring the God component into that, <clears throat> into our discussion. <clears throat> uh, so next seven days, all right? That's my challenge to you. So next week, hopefully I'll remember to ask you, <laughs> how'd you how your week went or ask your spouse how, or your parents, your kids. I'll ask you how your parents were the next week. Um, but if you're a Jesus follower, and most of you are, if you're not, we're glad that you're here. Uh, these principles, I think, will be helpful to you. If you're a Jesus follower, you have to ask this question. Because, I need my notes back, please. <laughs> uh, if you're a Jesus follower, you believe that there's a God that created you and created this and is a God of history and he's in control and he has a plan and a purpose for your life and he sent his son Jesus to die for you and as we're going to look at, that makes what you do important. It makes what you and I do significant. So it's not just, hey, I I can just do anything I want, live any way I want. I need to be an extraordinary person. So I need to ask that question. What would an extraordinary person do in this situation, in this part of my life? And God has invited you into his story, history. He's invited you. He's put you in this place, in this time, and he wants you to be extraordinary. Especially when we deal with other people, when we treat, the way we treat other people. Because I believe you are a, 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 a unique creation of God, and so I should treat you as a unique creation of God. So in an extraordinary way, and vice versa. 
So, normally in some situations, normally I would act like this, but this week, <laughs> I'm not going to act that way. I'm going to be extraordinary. Now, that tension that we're going to face this week in those situations when we're making decisions, am I going to be normal or extraordinary? That's the tension we see in this series that we've been going through. Back, you know, 3,300 years, how long it was, in the nation of Israel. People dealing, God had picked them out to be extraordinary. He picked them out as his chosen people, and people are going to see, hey, I'm Yahweh God, and this is the way I treat my people. And the people around you are going to look and say, wow, we have all these gods, but they're not good to us. They don't love us. They don't care about us. But your God does. And he's blessed you, and your crops are growing. And so that's what God's intention was for the Israelites, to be a light to the other nations, that people would look at them and say, wow, you're different. Your God is different, and it's a good difference. We would like that difference. So, we've been studying this time in the life of Israel. Lasted about 300 years. It was between the time of Moses and Joshua and getting into the promised land. And then when they started having kings. There's 300 plus years. We call it time of judges because they had God's law and they had these judges that would come and kind of administer the law. But God was supposed to be their king. Uh, We call that... uh, Lost the word. What's the word? God is your king. Well, I guess it's not important. If I can't remember what it is. Theocracy. That's what it is. Theocracy. God is, is the king. Right? You don't need an earthly king. In fact, the United States was kind of, that went on for thousands of years. The United States was really strange when it decided not to have kings, like England and France and all those, uh, when we established our nation. So for 300 years, they were supposed to be different. Now, the problem is, just like you and I, they wanted to be like everybody else. We don't want to be different. We want to fit in. We want to be like everybody else. And so they looked around at the other people, and they had other gods, and they did other things, and they started doing those things. And so as we looked at this, they would go through this cycle, the same cycle that you and I go through. Uh, we know what God would want, but we decided to do something else. We disobey God. And then after, uh, eventually, when you, you do that long enough, bad things happen. It just, they just do, because God knows what's best, and God wants what's best, and when we don't do that, we settle for less than best, our lives run into problems, and sometimes even disaster. And then we get to the place where, oh no, this was a big mistake, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry, God, I learned my lesson, I'll never do it again, if you just get me out of this. And, uh, and that's what he did for the Israelites over and over again. And then after a while, we have short memories and we forget and we go back to what? Doing what we want to do. So, <clears throat> we're going to look at a, a, another story. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. We're not going to read all of it. But uh, you can read it in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you've got a smartphone, hopefully you have a new version of the Bible. Great app. It's free. And you can read it in whatever translation you want, whatever language, even whatever language you want. So last week we looked at Samson. He was, a, he was given all these, this special gift from God. We're going to look at a kind of an ordinary guy. Most of us, anybody relate to Samson? I can't relate to Samson. Uh, but I can relate to this guy named Gideon because he was just kind of ordinary, kind of like most of us. So we're going to look at the part 
that describes kind of the, the historical setting, what's going on, and then we'll pick up the story uh, with Gideon. So here, here's the situation in Israel. <clears throat> this is in chapter 6. This is actually before uh, Samson. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They disobeyed, did their own thing. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. So God said, okay, if you don't want to follow my law, you want to do what you want to do, go ahead. And he just kind of stands back and watches. And so this was, went on for seven years. Now sometimes the Israelites are in control of their surrounding. Other times the other nations, other peoples were in control. So during this seven years, the Midianites were in control of the Israelites. So the, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains, caves, and strongholds. So the situation was so bad, they couldn't even live in their own towns and their own houses. They ran to the hills to get away from the, the cruelty. And it goes on to describe uh, what they were dealing with. <clears throat> Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian and Amalek and the peoples of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land, destroying crops as far away as Gaza. So... We all have to live, right? So they planted crops. But they, even if they planted their crops, uh, their enemies would destroy them, and so they didn't have food to eat. And it goes on to tell you they didn't have um, cattle or crops, um, animals either, taking all the sheep, goats, and cattle, and donkeys. They had nothing to eat. In fact, the next verse uses the word, when you have nothing to eat, you're what? <laughs> they were reduced to starvation by the Midianites. All right? Uh, probably none of us here have been starving. We say that, right? <laughs> we go a couple hours after we eat. Oh, I'm starving. No, no, no. These folks were really starving. They didn't know if they, where their next meal was coming from. They were actually in starvation mode. So, if you and I were in starvation mode, what would we do? Well, that's what they did. They cried out to the Lord for help. Oh, we're so sorry we did this, God. This is not turning out good. Well, uh, we know that you will take good care of us. Will you please help us? Now, in this series we've been talking about, God gives us the freedom to do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want. But the problem is, when we pursue that freedom, and we do stuff that God doesn't want us to do, what we consider as, start as, as freedom becomes a, a, a trap. It become, we become slaves. We become uh, addicted. So, what we thought was freedom turns out to be slavery. And that's exactly what happened to them. They thought they had freedom and what wound up as they were in starvation mode. And the same thing we've gone through maybe back in high school where you got in trouble with your teacher, you got in trouble with your principal, you got in trouble maybe with the law, or you know, maybe you went shoplifting. I, I never did this. My siblings did. And then you get caught and they call your parents and your parents come down they agree not to press charges or so forth. Now, most of us had good parents. Our parents came and got us, right? Now, they probably grounded us for a month afterwards, but they came and got us and, and rescued us uh, from the situation. Um, and that's exactly what happens here. That's what God does. In fact, God will do that over and over and over. I don't know about your parents, but most parents have a limit. This is the last time I'm doing this, and next time they, they may not come. Our God's not that way. It doesn't matter if it's the 10th time, the 100th time, the 1,000th time. If we cry out to God for help, what's he do? He helps. He's a God of mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Now, he loves us enough 
not to spare us the consequences of our bad decision. Because that's, that's the way we learn, right? So we, we, he lets us suffer a little bit. Um, hopefully so we learn our lesson. But he's always merciful. It's not as bad as it could be. And he always comes to deliver us. So that's the situation. Seven years under the oppression of the Midianites. Starvation mode. They cry out to God. And then we pick up Gideon in the story, okay? This is in a couple verses later in that chapter. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Orphrah. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain for the Midianites. Now this is pretty humorous, actually. Um, I'm not a farmer, but in the way they did wheat back then, wheat has a, a chaff, the outside part that's lighter than the, the wheat kernel or the wheat uh, berry inside. So what you do, they wanted to separate the good part from the bad part. You threw it up in the wind. The wind would blow the chaff away and the wheat berries would, would remain and then you would have your wheat berries make bread. So that's how you did it. Now, how well would that work down in a wine press? How much wind is down there? So you can imagine throwing it up and there's no wind. It would just keep coming back down, right? But they had to do this, or they thought they had to do this. Why? Because they were afraid. They did it. We already read it. They did it out when the many knights could see. They would come and take it away from them. So, so, so Gideon's trying to separate wheat from the chaff down in a wine press. Not working very well. It goes on. The story goes on. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says... Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, I can imagine getting and going, where's this mighty hero? Who's, who's, who's this guy talking to? He's certainly not me. I'm no hero. Look at me. I'm scared to death. I'm hiding here in this wine press, throwing, throwing wheat berries up in the air. Wheat, wheat and shit. He must not be talking to me. Now, Gideon is in a situation where you and I get sometimes, and maybe you are today. We lose sight of who we are especially who we are in God's eyes. We lose sight of it. We get trapped in our surroundings and what uh, we see around us and what people may be saying about us. But God says, Gideon, he's scared to death. God says to Gideon, you're a mighty hero. You're courageous. You're fearless. While he's shaking in his boots. That's what God's saying to him. So, how does Gideon respond? Gideon responds the same way you and I would. Uh, Well, excuse me, Lord, pardon me. I want to be polite. You're God. I'm not. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? The question you and I have asked probably dozens of times, right? Why am I having these relationship problems, God? Why am I having these financial problems, God? Why am I having these health issues, God? If you're God, you're a good guy, why is bad stuff happening to me? Let me ask that question. Over and over, you might be asking it today. Now, here's the fascinating thing. <laughs> Does God get offended when you ask that question? No. In fact, God thinks that's a good question because you're thinking about your relationship with God and your surroundings. And often that's the beginning of finding the answer. So Gideon says, why? Why are bad things happening? Just like you and I. And so what happens? He goes on and says, where are all the wonders that the ancestors told us about when they said, 
Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Yeah, we've heard all the stories, all the miracles, you know, the plagues and, and God's deliverance and then the miracles getting, you know, Jericho and all that stuff. But we've not seen anything. We haven't seen any miracles. All we've been is starving for seven years. Where is all these miracles? The Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of meeting us. Now, the Lord hadn't abandoned them. They had abandoned God, right? That's what it happened. But that's what it feels like, doesn't it? When we leave God, it feels like God has left us. But God hasn't left us. We've left him. And that's the exact situation they were in. So then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have. And rescue Israel from the Midianites. So I'm not going to give you anything special. You've got what you need to do what I want you to do. And then he goes on. He says, I, God, I am sending you. I've chosen you. Wait a minute. I'm no hero. Now, this is one thing I love about the Bible. <laughs> if I was making this story up or somebody else was making this story up and they were writing this, this is where Gideon would go out and do it, right? Is that what Gideon does? Let's see. What does he do? Uh, excuse me. Uh, how can I rescue Israel? And he kind of tells God the situation, like God doesn't know, right? Like you and I do sometimes. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. So there's 12 tribes of Israel, right? And his tribe is Manasseh. And the tribe is made up of obviously clans or groups of people. And he says, okay, in our tribe, our clan is like the weakest. The, we're, we're kind of low, to, low man on the totem pole. And in our family, if that's not bad enough, in our family, I'm the bottom <laughs> of the totem pole. So our clans are the weakest, and, and I'm the weakest or the, the least important or, uh, of everybody. So he's basically saying, there's nobody less important than I am, right? Translate would be, yeah, I didn't go to college. Well, I went to community college a couple times and didn't do very well. Actually, I probably should have flunked out. Or maybe I just went to high school and I didn't really do very well in high school. And, you know, I tried the marriage thing once and it was a disaster. And, you know, I, it's a hard time for me to keep a job. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just, just a loser. I guess the best way to think of it, he, he said, hey, God, you got the wrong guy. I'm a loser. So how does God respond? God says, okay, I'm never mind. I must be at the wrong house. Is that what's in there? That's not in there. <laughs> That's not in there. God doesn't do that. Um, I've tried that. Back when I was a teenager, God said, I want you to be a pastor, a preacher, or whatever. And I said, no, nah, God, you got the wrong guy. You know, and God said, no, I got the right guy. And I said, no, God, you got the wrong guy. And and God didn't say you got the wrong house, okay? And he doesn't say that to you or either, does he? So God just says, I want you to open your eyes, Gideon. And he says to you and to me, I want you to open your eyes and see how special you are, how extraordinary you are. You're a masterpiece. You're one of a kind. Not me, God. And God says, yes, you. Not, not me, God. Not, yes, you. How do you view yourself? You know, most of us view ourselves on the way that other people view us. How they see us, what they say about us. So let me ask you a question about that. What if they're wrong? 
What if they're wrong? What people see or think or say about you? So you're going to get your view of you from them? Or are you going to get the view of you from God? Now, I hope you folks can be here in two weeks. In two weeks, we're going to do something very, very special. We're going to do our first baptismal service in our building. We've been baptizing people for 25 years since I've been here. We do it at all kinds of places. We've done it out in the parking lot. We did it across the street. done it in lakes. We've done it in swimming pools. We bought a baptistry. We're going to bring it over here. And in two weeks, we're going to have our first baptismal service. And we're going to hear... Actually, it's going to be the Bresnay family who's, who are going to be leaving us. <laughs> um, but we're going to hear their story, a little bit of their stories. And when you hear these stories, and we've heard some of you, uh, we, we did um, a year ago, we did your stories. When you hear their stories, I want you to listen. Because in these stories, in your stories and my stories, there's always this place where, oh, we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. And it's life-changing. It's life-changing for them. It's life-changing for me. And if you're Jesus, follow life-changing for you. We see ourselves as we really are. So, no, God didn't say this. Here's what God says to him. <clears throat> I will be with you. That's it. No muscles like Samson, but I'm going to be with you. Just like God says that to you and to us. So the question is this then. God asks, will you be with me? Parent, will you be with me in your parenting? I'm with you. Husband, will you be with me in your relationship with your wife? I'm with you. Wife, wives, will you be with me in your relationship with your husband? Kids, with your parents. I'm with you. Will you be with me in that relationship? Again, you have the freedom to do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want. But if you choose that path, you miss being with me. You miss the special plan I have for your life. You miss it. So no special gift. Just, I will be with you. Now, okay, I don't know if that really helps. So 1,300 years later, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Now, if you were a Jesus follower in Rome at that time, it was the worst place to live because the Roman Empire hated Christians and they were burning them and feeding them to the lions and so forth. So Paul is writing to them and he says this, all right? He says basically the same thing God said to Gideon. God is for us or God is with us. Who can ever be against us? That's a pretty good question. Wait a minute. Almighty God is with me, so whoever is against me can't be almighty, right? That's how God sees us. But I don't know if I really believe that. How do I really know that's true? And Paul knew we would ask that question. And so he gives us the answer. How do you, you want to know how you know? He did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Wow. I don't need any other proof to know that God must be for me if he sent his only son to die for me, right? And he goes on, when he also give us everything else. So don't look around. Don't think about what other people think about you or are saying about you. Think about you the way God thinks about you. What are you worth? 
I used to tell my Josh and Mike when they were little this all the time. The value of a thing is the price it will bring. They'd go buy comic books and tell me, Dad, they're going to be worth all this money. And what I would say to them is, it's only going to be worth what somebody's willing to pay. We all think ourselves worth more than it really is, right? You put it on eBay and you find out what it really is. But somebody's willing to pay for it. So what is somebody willing to pay for you? God let his son, only son, die for you. I got on some of you women and men last week about your sexuality. This was part of the reason why. You're a woman that God sent Jesus to die for you. Why don't you be an extraordinary woman? Men, especially when you're dealing, treating women, you're somebody Jesus died for. They're somebody Jesus died for. So what would a hero do? Any relationships, men and women, relationships, parent and child. Now, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story of Gideon. You have to read it for yourself. But I will tell you what he does first. <laughs> he sneaks into one of these midnight towns. He knocks over an idol, breaks it, and then runs back home. That's it. That's all they did. That was his little, you know, baby step. But if you read the story, eventually he becomes what? A hero. Why? Because he believed what God said about him. He believed that God was with him and he was with God. One of our contemporary pastors said this. I thought it was a good reminder to us. <clears throat> it's dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought. That's being boastful. But it's equally as dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. So this teaching isn't about trying to keep you out of trouble, trying to get you to stop doing the stuff you shouldn't do. Some of the other teachings in this series have that. But this teaching is about you reaching your full potential. Being all God says about you and that you are. So what? Next seven days, what would an extraordinary person do in this job, in this relationship, etc.? Another way to say it's this way. What would you do if you were confident God was with you, in you, and for you? That's what God's invited us all to if you're a Jesus follower. My prayer for you is that you would see you the way God sees you. Again, parents, children, spouses, whoever. Again, next week, we got our little uh, Christmas sermon connected all the way back to the time of the judges. And then in two weeks, we're going to have this baptismal service. And then Christmas Eve, two services. I hope you can join us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for the life of Gideon, kind of an ordinary guy that had the wisdom and the courage to believe you. And you did an ex- extraordinary thing in and through him. That's a challenge for us all. See ourselves the way you, you see us and to act upon it, to live extraordinary lives. And people will say, hey, something different about you. Tell me about it. And we can say, ah, oh, it's not me. It's you, God. And we pray for any of you that are not Jesus followers that you would take the opportunity today to step across that line and join God in what he wants to do in and through your life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.